0: everyone.
1: R-E-S-P-E-C-T. Find out what it means to me. That was Aretha Franklin, uh, surely anticipating the subject of this latest episode in our series on cultural differences, because as it turns out, uh, notions of respect and hierarchies actually vary uh, from one culture to another, don't they?
0: Yeah, I think how respect is interpreted or showed um so yeah hierarchy in the workplace um is very different in hot versus cold climate cultures
1: so give an example of that um, having been a an hr person uh in one of the in one of our previous postings
0: well i guess the difference is that um in cold climate cultures um we try to destabilize now in the workplace, not destabilize, but deconstruct, deconstruct the, Yeah, we definitely
1: don't try to destabilize,
0: (laughs) deconstruct the hierarchy. So everyone knows they're equal and important and part of the team. My door is always open. Every idea is valid. You can talk to me about anything. Um, that's, I mean, if you think about these kind of, I don't know, Headquarters at like tech companies now, or mm-hmm. every, everyone's sitting on beanbags and open spaces and all that kind of stuff, right? Right. Um, so, that kind of mentality is very cold climate. Mm-hmm. Um,
1: and of course, just for anyone who's listening for the first time, when we say cold climate, it's a very loose, general term to describe essentially uh, what we would traditionally call the West. Uh, so, North America, Europe, and I guess uh, Australia and New Zealand, these kind of countries.
0: Yeah, very loosely. And then hot climate cultures, they still very much depend on a hierarchical system. So I'm the boss and you listen to me and you do your job Mm. and I tell you what to do. And then if you're the supervisor of someone else, you tell them what to do and they go to you and you come to me and um, that kind of structure.
1: Yeah, and there's great respect for that, isn't there? And almost uh, kind of reverence, Uh, ...for that kind of structure. I remember, I think it was quite a big culture shock for me. I remember uh, when we moved to Bolivia, I had finished teaching in high school in Scotland... And, you know, the the teaching experience increasingly uh, in Britain is very interactive. You know, there's a respect for the teacher, but it's quite a collaborative learning environment. Uh, And as a teacher, I was constantly checking as I was teaching that new concepts were being assimilated, being grasped. That wasn't any kind of insecurity. That was just part of the job uh, with, with pupils, with students. And then I remember when we moved to Trinidad... Uh, to the foundation, I started the English class, which of course was English as a foreign language. So I, I was kind of making it up as I went along, and I remember the first week or two there were maybe thirty or forty people there, and um, we were almost having to turn people away. And within a month, I think there were maybe no more than ten, <laughs> very very quickly. Um, and so obviously this was going to be a learning curve, but, but the very interesting thing, and the thing I found very confusing, was that any time I checked with people that they were grasping or understanding what I was teaching, there was not the merest suggestion that anyone wasn't getting it, or at least they didn't vocalise that. Uh, And that was quite confusing. And it wasn't until, I think, many years later that I realized that 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 too is part of this uh, very different, very hierarchical dynamic that there is in in hot climate cultures.
0: Yeah, I mean, obviously the student wants to impress the teacher or be on good terms with the teacher, and it doesn't actually matter if they're understanding or not. Um, I think... For me, obviously, we talked about this test that I did about kind of how Bolivia has changed me. And this is the one area that I have not budged on. (laughs) I am still, I still struggle in hierarchical structures. I'm much more, my door is always open, which is why being the HR person at the foundation for two and a half years at the end of our time there was actually very difficult. Mm. Because I ran HR the way I would like (laughs) to kind of... Run it and and in the environment that I would like to kind of come talk. My yes, door is always open. Always let's get open. coffee. We're, <laughs> we could be friends, even though I'm I'm your boss. Or mm. um, let's talk about anything. We can solve problems together. Um, But no one ever kind of in two and a half years knocked on my door and was like, I just want to talk to you. I have an idea. This isn't working. And I thought maybe we could approach it this way. Uh, Yeah, none of that ever happened. And I Mm. could not figure out why until I took this course.
1: (laughs) And looking back, do you think you would change that? Sorry for that roll call there.
0: I think I uh, maybe needed to understand the culture better to be able to adapt to it. But I don't think me as a person could be the type of boss, maybe that people in Bolivia kind of need to kind of feel secure in -hmm. a workplace where they understand their role within a structure. Um, I don't know if I'd be that good of a boss in that setting. Um, I remember one meeting I had, and this is, this isn't to sound disparaging, but this is maybe to explain my confusion. Um, I had to in solve a conflict between two people and one of them was a young teenager who worked in reception and one of them was an older woman who was the cleaner and um they both had issues with each other because they felt they weren't receiving the right level of respect because they could not figure out in the hierarchy who was on top of who or who was subordinate to her who so the receptionist Mm -hmm. thought the cleaner was subordinate to her because she's a receptionist and the other one was a cleaner where the cleaner thought as an older woman the younger woman was subordinate to her so they could not work together Mm -hmm. they had clash after clash after clash and i remember sitting and facilitating this meeting and trying to um solve their issues and i don't think it actually dawned on me until I took this course that the issue wasn't, you know, she stepped on my wet floor and she should have walked around or, you know, she's not passing me my files on time. But the issue was who is subordinate to who. Um, And once I took this course, that that whole issue just became so much more clear Mm. in my mind. Fortunately, it was years too late.
1: It's a very big deal. It's a very big deal in Latin America. And I find that even People, maybe people in those kind of categories that might be traditionally lower down in a company, even at that level, there can be quite... Um, yeah, there can be some, some fairly feisty uh, exchanges or people really uh, fighting hard to protect certain statuses within that. Um, I find in church ministry as well, um, in Latin America, certainly in Bolivia, the pastor, or should I say el pastor, is a really big deal. Uh, that person is up on a pedestal, uh, much more so. Of course, we see that uh, in Western climates and cultures as well, but I'd say even more so in Latin America. And I think when when I first took the job at Trinity uh, a couple of years ago, it's very noticeable the, the sort of Uh, Brits and Canadians and Americans, uh, they didn't respect me at all. They just called me Craig. Um, I'm just kidding, of course, they respect me. I I think they respect me anyway. Do you think they respect me? I hope so. (laughs) (laughs) Not sure with some of them. But it was very noticeable that the Bolivians, very early on, to a man, all called me Pastor. Uh, And that, for me, was quite an adjustment. And I felt it was quite a hard thing because... I really wanted to not so much be everyone's friend, uh, but I wanted pe- I didn't want people to see me as unapproachable or in any way above criticism, someone that they couldn't in any way be honest with. I didn't want that. But at the same time, I guess it was quite a good reminder of, of the, the kind of solemn responsibility that it is uh, to be a pastor. And I guess in my role as well, I'm really blessed to have good accountability structures around me, both informally in my personal life mm-hmm. and also in the church. But the interesting thing is uh, the work uh, the ministry I do with Langham also reflects this sort of stuff to a certain degree because these hierarchies within the church mean that el pastor can pretty much do anything that he likes or say anything likes he likes from the pulpit. And very few people, if any, are, are going to say anything. They're, they're not going to really give any feedback or negative criticism about that. And, of course, the result of that is that you get a lot of quite substandard preaching so what we're doing in Langham uh, is coming alongside uh, one another as pastors and bible teachers to to provide that necessary feedback that they wouldn't necessarily get well they, they're probably not going to get from their congregation
0: yeah I mean I, I definitely felt the same thing in ministry when we moved through and even the Bolivians started calling me pastora and I kept That's thinking right. Um, even though we're married, they know I'm not actually employed by the church, right? I do not have the same qualifications that Craig does in terms of seminary or study and things. And, um, and I do remember the very first potluck and it was especially it was our first kind of potluck church lunch Mm. since Craig took the post and they made us kind of, no, no, you guys go first. You guys go first. Mm. And I remember being so uncomfortable with that. (laughs) And I'm like, they're not going to make us go first every Sunday lunch, right? Um, and, it, and they haven't. We definitely made sure that, you know, it was something that we weren't comfortable with. And for them, it was them showing us respect. Yes. Welcome. You're new. This is us welcoming you. And for us, we were like, yeah, usually the pastor's the last to eat. <laughs> mm. Make sure everyone else is eating first. And it's just, for us, that would be a way that we would show respect. That's right. Um, so it is a completely different mentality. And the thing is, there is a balance for us between being comfortable from our own background and how we... Um, work within ministry but we also have to respect the way that they see um authority Mm. um, especially within the church so for them um for their pastor to be slightly and i don't mean the word elevated in in that kind of sense but you know for them to be able to kind of lift that person up helps them put trust in that person yes And that's why it is so easy to abuse it as well. Mm -hmm. Um, But they kind of need that. They need to see that their pastor is um, different from all the other people sitting around them. Although Mm -hmm. for us, we're not maybe more comfortable with that. Yes, that's true. And of
1: course, some of us require more elevation than others, uh, depending on our stature, don't we? But we don't know anything about that.
0: No, Craig really used a a wooden box in Trinidad. All right, we don't need to talk about that. (laughs) He really did.
1: Um, Moving on, (laughs) that's a whole other story. Mm -hmm. Um, Is there anything else you can think of to talk about on on this subject of hierarchies? Not
0: really, I guess. It's just a constant thing for us to be able to balance our own comfortable, Mm. um, what we find comfortable versus the culture that we live in because I think this is the one area in which we really haven't changed as people and we haven't really kind of immersed or embraced and so it's a constant balance.
1: Well I I can assure our listeners uh, that that based on what goes on in our household uh, our concepts of hierarchies have not changed. Um, Amanda was the boss in Scotland and she's the boss in Bolivia and, and for that we can give thanks for uh, for that continue for that constancy in our lives
0: well absolutely but while we're in canada my mom's in charge
1: that's true uh, <laughs> and we're happy to relinquish that aren't we
0: we actually have kind of a it's kind of a funny story to talk about differences in culture and and how we are struggling um a little bit um another we're not going to have a full kind of podcast episode on direct and indirect communication but another kind of issue is you know, we tend to be more direct in cold climate cultures. Mm. We say what we mean. We want people to understand what we mean, whereas um hot climate cultures, they're very indirect. They don't say what they mean. They talk around it because they're very worried more about offending someone. That's right. So you have to pick up a lot of body language. You have to pick a lot of in- pick up a lot of inference, um, understand context because they won't just come out and say it. They need you to understand it by everything else they're not saying. Mhm. So we've gotten really used to that. Like, like the way
1: you're shaking your fist at me right now as you speak. As if to say, get me off this podcast now. I want to watch more Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D.
0: No, I finished Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. season 7. I've watched or, the entire show or now. Or whatever you're
1: watching there, anyway.
0: Um, yeah, no, I'm not doing that. But, um, yeah, so we have become a lot more used to indirect communication. Mm. Um, and we have been in Canada for the last two months. And obviously, as... You know, Canadians go. We're definitely more direct in our communication.
1: (laughs) Hang on. Is this going to be Squirrel Gate? This
0: is Squirrel Gate. Oh, gosh.
1: Not Squirrel Gate.
0: Okay. So what happened was we were walking the other day, coming back from the park with Sam, and we're walking down the street on the sidewalk, and this little squirrel looks either like a sick squirrel or a baby squirrel, but it's a smaller squirrel starts to cross the road and I pointed out to Sam and then the squirrel actually, instead of crossing the road, comes up to us closer and closer and closer. And it's cute to a point and it gets right up close to Sam and Sam's kind of bending down and looking at it. And um, all of a sudden the squirrel starts climbing up Sam's leg, climbs up his foot, goes all the way up his leg to his knee. Thank goodness Sam was wearing jeans. Um, So, you know.
1: At this point, knowing that squirrels can, you know, they're basically vermin. Um, yes, I we we decided that I would I would brush uh, said squirrel off with my foot, not not a kick. I wanna stress just a brush with my foot off off Sam's leg. Yes,
0: at this point I was like, this is not okay. This is an unusual behavior behavior for a squirrel. So there could be something wrong with the squirrel. My mind automatically went possible rabies. Um, Sam has only had one of his two rabies shots, which he will be getting the second in a week. So I thought, you know, I prefer not to expose my child to dangerous diseases. So I asked Craig, I said, this is not okay. And Craig used his foot because again, don't want to put your hands near the squirrel's teeth. So Um, we're
1: getting ready to go down the street. Yeah. We just just start walking when I all of a sudden we hear this shout, What are you doing?
0: Yeah, a lady who apparently was watching us from her front window opened her window and just started yelling at us for kicking the squirrel. And um, I definitely was very taken aback by... (laughs) her very direct communication, which I was not used to.
1: It was almost as if we were back in a cold climate culture and as if we'd assimilated the hot climate culture in which uh, we are now
0: living. Yes, um, it, was, it was very unsettling. Um, you know, it brings up a defensive reaction. Um, you know, she didn't come out of her house, so it didn't get violent or physical. No, no uh, pitchforks, no which pitchforks. is almost
1: disappointing.
0: But it was something that we were not used to because in Bolivia, nobody would have said anything. And if they did say something, it would be so indirect that maybe you would have had a hard time picking up the actual message as in mm. you shouldn't have kicked the squirrel. So yeah, it was a reminder to me and I think it, it made me think of um, how hard reentry and transition is for missionaries coming back.
1: Mm. You know,
0: like I, I think that a lot of people can't, Um, really grasp you know you think you're coming home Mm. and that everything will be familiar but you're not the same person Um, and a home has changed as well to varying degrees so just even situations like that I mean I didn't know what to do I didn't Mm. know how to respond to this woman I didn't know what was okay and was not okay in my country because I'd been gone for so long I mean is this something I should expect all Mm -hmm. the time now that people call each other out
1: Mm. Well, for more on that subject and, and others, uh, I would refer our listeners to our upcoming uh, email update, which should be going out in the next few days. Um, so if you're listening to this, if you'd like that, just get in contact with us. We can send that out. Uh, but we'll be, we're touching a little bit more on this subject of, you know, really, where is home now? What is one's home culture? And it's amazing how being outside of, of uh, Bolivia has revealed to it how much Bolivia really is that culture for us. Anyway... Time for some prayer points. Well, we're recording this on Wednesday, the 21st of April. That means we've been here almost exactly two months uh, for this kind of unexpected uh, last-minute furlough, if you like. Um, And we are leaving here on uh, the 30th, so just in nine days' time. Um, so we're really in the in the closing straight. I know we haven't really done any podcasts. We just did that one at the beginning. Um, so sorry about that, that lack of podcasts. But um, I think all in all, we've had a pretty restful, I'd say, uh, and, and very productive time here. I think we've ticked a lot of boxes, haven't we?
0: Yeah, I, I think for me... Um, I haven't been feeling great and coming back for medical reasons was one of the big things we needed to deal with. And we've kind of made progress with that, which has been really good. And other medical stuff, Sam had his first optician's appointment today and he will be getting glasses. Mm, um, so he very exciting. Up, well, yeah, he picked out his first pair of glasses, um, which went well. I, I think he still doesn't realize he's going to have to wear them all the time. Um, mm. But we'll work through that. I got my first pair of glasses at six. So, you know, I feel like this is a bonding experience mm-hmm. that Craig is completely left out on.
1: Yes, I've, I've always weirdly kind of wanted to wear glasses. I think I'm the only person on planet Earth who's quite wanted. I'm the only person in my family as well. Uh, my, like, uh, my, the, the Cunningham... You know, I was going to say the original Cunningham's, but anyway, where, where my my.
0: Because I'm not an original The Straven
1: Cunningham's, <laughs> right? That lot. Uh, who doesn't wear glasses, so...
0: Yeah, but that but, might yeah. be because you haven't actually had your eyes checked. Apparently, I found out mm. today since we got married. That's
1: true. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, I've always fancied that kind of Bill Nye sort of uh, thick-rimmed look where you can kind of uh, take the thumb and the middle finger and kind of go like that with a raised eyebrow. Unfortunately, for this is very much a, a visual thing, so you won't be able to see this, but yeah, that, that's a look I, I very much respect. It's very dapper, uh, and I'd love to emulate it, and I can't. Amanda won't even let me get fakes.
0: I will not let you get fakes. uh, I think it's slightly patronizing. It's slightly patronizing to someone whose lenses are so thick that they actually look like Coke bottle bottle, bottom. Coke bottle. Say that again. Coke bottle bottle. (laughs) bottom.
1: Coke bottle bottoms. Yes. (laughs) Right. (laughs) That. All right.
0: Um, So yeah, fake glasses, not happening. So Sam and I are going to be in a club that Craig's not in. Um, Yeah, and I've had some health, um, lots of health appointments. Yeah, the glasses
1: are one of several kind of health-related things we've been able to check off, eh?
0: Yeah, absolutely. Um, Unfortunately, Ontario's case numbers have kind of skyrocketed, Mm. and um, Ontario is in complete stay at home order which is essentially lockdown and um you can leave the house for work if you're an essential or frontline worker or the grocery store and exercise which is one up on our bolivian quarantine because we weren't allowed to leave the house for exercise so um we're allowed to walk around in outdoor spaces um but we're not allowed to see my sister or her boys anymore so for the last week and a half we haven't really been able to see them
1: yeah it's been hard i th- we were well warned and we knew before we came here uh that canada was i was going to say not out of the woods that doesn't even come close to describing it canada i don't i'm not sure if yeah canada's canada's very much deep uh, in the in the thickest part of the woods, still with this, uh, I think very similar to Bolivia. Actually, It said supply issues in terms of vaccine uh, and anyway, all sorts of other. Yes, this things is not going a on.
0: political podcast on the not, state of Canada. No, not at all.
1: <laughs> anyway, that's, maybe we just,
0: should invite my mother to come and oh share. Gosh, our let's not do that.
1: Um, yeah. So so, but that has affected the day to day here. And obviously with family, it's been it's been particularly hard out. There's no, it's all perfectly understood. Um, but essentially, I mean, we're here for, um, you know, another 10 days. And three days ago, three or four days ago, we said goodbye <laughs> to Amanda's sister uh, and our little nephews, mm-hmm. uh, who are really Sam's best friends here. Um, you know, we still see them on camera and stuff. They live five minutes down the road. <laughs> but that's just the reality of things just now. Um, so it's been tough, but uh, I think as Shakespeare said, better to have loved and lost uh, than to have never loved at all, right? So so to just have come here, um, we've done a lot of, I guess we've been doing a lot more research on issues pertaining to sort of third culture kids, as they call them, like Sam, over the last year or two. And one thing that has come up continually is the need to, to maintain that contact with home as much as, as possible. And so it's been, it's been worth it in that respect for sure.
0: Yeah, but I think Sam is definitely ready to go home. He is yes, actually, He yeah. keeps asking when we're going home, can we go home now? He misses his dog very much. Um, and I think he misses the familiarity mm-hmm. um, and, and freedoms that I guess yeah. we, we had. Um, and he wants to get back to his own room and his own bed and his own routines, which mm. is completely understandable. So I don't think we're going to have problems getting him on the plane next week.
1: No. Which is which is good, Um, but yeah, it's been you know it's been kind of you know we've been able to relax. I feel like I've I've done so much reading, been able to catch up on telly uh, that we wanted to watch for a while in the evenings. It's it's great just the free evenings, which you know missionaries don't always get that kind of thing. So so that's been nice, Um, and I think yeah we've been able to take care of a few things here and there. I've continued, I think I mentioned last time that the Langham sort of Executive Committee for Bolivia that I've joined. I've been able to keep going in that uh, commitment, which is just really a once-a-week, short meeting kind of thing. Um, I've also been able to connect with the pastors in the International Church Network. Um, and, yeah, it's been, yeah, just one or two things here and there. Uh, but I think mostly we have really... Uh, being able to recharge, I think, uh, within the confines of, you know, having to be based at home quite a lot and homeschooling, which has continued. And but I have to say, again, it's continued. You know, Sam has transitioned to that really well. Um, and we're really, really happy about that. With the virtual yeah. schooling.
0: I think we just kind of, I guess, need prayer for the next nine days because yeah. it's going to go fast. And it's going to take a lot of organization. We mm-hmm. have to get two cases to the other side of Toronto on Friday when I go through for a hospital appointment. Mm. And then next Wednesday we go through again cause Sam needs some jags. I need some blood work. So we're going to take two more cases through Yes, and then my dad will bring those four cases and meet us on the airport at the airport on the Friday. Mm. And we'll have two more cases with us. Like the logistics is, is intense.
1: Yeah. Uh, Neither a man does mother nor father have a car with, with, Tons of space for luggage. So, yeah. Uh, And we're talking, this is a good two, two and a half hour drive uh, from London to the east of Toronto. So, fun and games ahead.
0: Yeah, and we've had to investigate, obviously, um, the... PCR? PCR, yeah. Mm -hmm. We have to get COVID tested to get back. So we thankfully were able to find a pharmacy that will do it for international travel, as not all pharmacies will, as Canada wants to discourage people from Mm. traveling internationally. So they make it difficult to get COVID tested. Um, So we found one and we have appointments booked for next Wednesday morning. Um,
1: And we're not entirely sure at the moment as to logistics of our arrival in Bolivia, because officially... Foreigners are required to... Actually, any anyone who's come from abroad would be the Bolivian citizens or otherwise are required to, to quarantine for anything between 10 to 14 days officially. Um, but it looks like a lot of people are just being waved through <laughs> and aren't being told about that at all when they arrive. So we're just going to see how that goes, albeit we will you know continue to behave as responsibly as we can uh, when we're back in Bolivia. That said... I think all said and done, I think we are. And I, I I never thought I'd say this, but I think, yeah, I think we're kind of looking forward to our Bolivian freedoms. <laughs> it's just the whole situation there. Um, it's not in any way responsible. I think we have to say uh, the setup, but um, it was a it, that was a, the hardest adjustment coming here was just the the seriousness with which uh, I think the rules were uh, were followed and expected to be followed and again we talk about this in our in our latest uh, email update but we can fully understand why that is it comes down again to full circle culture
0: <laughs> absolutely and we're somewhere in between now we kind of get pulled in both directions yeah
1: we are completely lost we're a mess <laughs> um yeah, that's all she wrote, isn't it?
0: Yeah, you can just pray for us in terms of logistics and readjusting back in Bolivia that everything fits in the cases that we bought as there was nothing to do expe- except spend time on the internet buying things.
1: Yes, that was uh, that was Amanda's main social time here. Um Okay, so we will see you, God willing, in I guess uh, another two or three weeks. Once we're settled back into to things in Bolivia, we'll get another podcast done and and just update everyone on how we're doing. And uh, yeah, thanks everyone for your your prayers, your support. Thanks especially to churches. I know that obviously this year we were hoping to get to churches in Scotland. Um, which we haven't been able to do, but we were able to make some solid contact with churches in Canada, even visit one this time. Uh, But thank you for for all your support. And, uh, yeah, uh, we hope to to see each other again sooner rather than later, whether you be in a church or or just individual friends and family.
0: Take care. Bye-bye. Bye.
1: For more information on ourselves or our ministry, please visit our website at cramandaham.blogspot.com. Thanks for listening, and see you next time on What's Coming.